0: Youth Baseball Talk, only on LineUpMedia.fm. Youth Baseball Talk, only on LineUpMedia.fm. Now your host, Jim Cromer.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Youth Baseball Talk, brought to you by The Rope Trainer. Make sure you check out theropetrainer.com. As John Smoltz says, everyone should have one, from big leaguers to little leaguers. I highly encourage you to check out the great product developed by Earl Perrin, John Smoltz, and Chris Verna, the whole gang over there at Rope Trainer. They have your young players' arm health in mind. Uh, Again, uh, efforting getting Chris Verna on the show, because I want to hear about the scientific data that they had done, the testing that they had done on their product Uh, some great stuff came back on it and it's usefulness and helpfulness for all the great young players out there Uh, whether you're young or old it's a definite need that needs filled and these guys have found a great answer to help us a little bit in this fight against what has become really almost an epidemic among young players out there with these arm injuries I hope you enjoyed the show last week we kind of teased what we were going to talk about this week Uh, before we do that let me introduce my co-host and friend uh, Spiker Helms what's going on bud
2: It's going, I've been going on Instagram, getting ready for the show. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot of videos on different topics. And I think this is going to be a fun one. This is
1: going to be a fun one because this one, uh, as we typically say on the show, sometimes there's more than one ways to skin a cat, which was always a good term that a friend of mine used to use. But, um, you know, it ties into that whole thing of, we're here to talk about things because there's a lot of ways to do things. We talk about absolutes and sequencing and things like that within the sport. Uh, But, you know, a lot of times people have different ways of doing things and it's successful and it works for them. Um, We talk a lot about not making kids robots, letting them be athletic, letting them be instinctive. Uh, But today's game game, um, has gotten more and more difficult each and every year. Kids are getting better. We talked a little bit about how that's happening and the training and all the effort that goes into this stuff. But um, approach in all facets of the game is something that uh, requires a little bit of uh, maturity uh, physical maturity, but more importantly, probably mental maturity. So sometimes this can be an advanced topic. Um, but on that note, It is an interesting one, nonetheless, in how you approach what it is you do, no matter what it is. So real excited about that. Before we do, we want to remind you to make sure you check us out at youthbaseballtalk.com, our website where you can find uh, the podcast itself. It's also the easiest way to subscribe to the show. We would encourage you to do so. You'll get a quick notification that the show is available for you to download or stream whenever uh, it's convenient for you. Uh, there's also some great videos on there from the, the instructors that we use, and we're working uh, right now on putting up some, some advice on how to use the rope trainer, how to make it uh, something that you can include into your daily regimen of training and, and practice. Uh, just really great things like that you're going to find more and more of. Uh, Spiker's done a great job of growing our brand, whether it be through um, social media or just general getting the word out. So look for a lot of that stuff on the website. Social media is a great thing for us. We really appreciate you guys and your support. At Podcast Baseball is where you'll find us uh, on Twitter and Youth Baseball Talk on Facebook as well. If you follow us and you're involved in the game of baseball, we're going to follow you back. Uh, We're asking everyone to please share our stuff around just in an effort to reach all the great people and families out there that are involved in this great game of baseball, especially at the youth level. If you're listening to the show, you obviously have people that you're playing with, friends, family, Please share this show around in an effort for to try to help us reach as many people as possible with what we think is a really good message. Uh lineupmedia.fm could not do the show without them either. Uh, the fastest growing podcast planet, fastest growing podcast company on the planet. If you're interested at all in podcasting, you're gonna want to check them out. They take your entertainment time very seriously. Uh, Spiker. Yes. I'm excited. We started teasing a little bit last week because I brought up that guys like Joey Votto and um, Matt Carpenter of my own St. Louis Cardinals frustrate me sometimes when they take fastballs on the corner and then want to sit there and whine about it. Um, So it brought up the topic of approach, and at the beginning, I didn't specify that I was kind of talking about with two strikes. Um, But it does bring up an interesting thing of approach. Um, Approach is not something that you hear a lot about at the youth level. I don't know if it's because we, and I say we because I've coached plenty, and I don't know how much I talked about it at a young age. But we don't talk about approach much because why? We, we're more concerned with a kid just getting a get, going up there and trying to swing a bat and get a hit. Typically at a lot of age you see a lot of kids taking pitches and doing things like that. I think we could do a better job at the youth level of talking about approach more, especially in my opinion, because, and, and this is where Spiker and I's conversation grew from, um, you hear more and more big leaguers or college guys that had success, or, or or guys trying to make it in that realm. When they have increased success, or they start doing better, a lot of times people want to start pointing to, well, who was he hitting with, or he lifted a bunch of weights or did this. Nobody talks about did they did they talk about the mental approach to hitting.
2: It's a golden age of content, golden age of training, and it's all mechanical based. Um, example, when I was saying that I was scrolling through Instagram, I see mechanical stuff because I'm following all the big name guys on Instagram, and I really like to dig in and see what their thoughts are on it because I have my thoughts, their thoughts, and then kind of mesh the two together. Um, but yeah, approach is never really talked about at all. And yeah. I think and I think with us talking about this subject, I think this is going to be a, be a good one. You know, I brought up on the last show,
1: um, and this would be an approach thing. Uh, I have two sons; one is a senior, one is a freshman. They could not be any more opposite when it comes to players. Um, this part of that is my older son is my stepson, so you know he has a different biological father. So he he's different. He's bigger. He was more mature at a young age. Um, you know, he's 2'15". My son is a lot like I was, especially now not that I'm a small guy now, but in, in high school I was smaller because I was younger. He could really he, and should be in eighth grade, but he's a freshman, and he's doing fine, but he's not big. You know, he's not thick. He's a lot like I was as a freshman. Um, so you, t- you think about, okay, what makes one better than the other? Well, there's a lot of things that go into it, athleticism, things like that, but um, when it comes to hitting, if we're just talking about hitting, which is what we're talking about for this conversation, I had said to you that I spent a lot of time and energy, sometimes money, to help my older son because he used to struggle quite a bit. Um, and you know, you're always looking for answers because that's what you do as a parent, right? That is what you do. And in the end, um, I watched him have some success at times, and then I watched him struggle at times and, and just couldn't figure it out, couldn't understand it. And at the end of the day, when I looked back on it, when he finally put the bat down kind of taken out of his hands and said, you're just going to be a pitcher, bud. Uh, when I looked back on it and was honest about it, it wasn't anybody's fault. Like everybody wants to blame somebody. Mm. scapegoat. Yeah, it wasn't anybody's fault. Let me tell you what it was. It was his approach. And you don't have to look any further than what I told you last week and what I believe in. He took every 3-1 fastball he ever
2: got. Do you think it was because it was mechanical or do you think it was just like he was just afraid of something? Mindset. Mindset. I mean, you know, uh, kids.
1: <laughs> you know, we think that kids don't listen to us. We go through that stage where they're ignoring us, or they don't want to hear from us, or with us. Like
2: Clean your room. You know, all those kind of stuff. Stop playing video games.
1: And, and it happens in baseball. You know, especially if you're in a situation like I was, where you coach your own son. Sometimes they they get butt hurt, or they don't like how you. You know, whatever, right? But they do. It's 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 that white men can't jump movie. You know, you you're listening, but do you hear me? Or you hear me, but are you listening? I guarantee you that they're they're hearing you a little bit, right? Um, approach is one of those things. And I think back to myself, and while I watched him go through this, I wonder if I ever talked with him enough about it. I, this is awful for me to say this out loud, but as I sit here with you today, I think back and wonder that I watched this happen, and I wonder if I ever pulled him aside and said, hey, What are you looking for? I may have said to him, you got to swing the bat. I'm sure I said that. That sounds like something a coach or a parent would say when your kid is striking out, right? you got to swing the bat, right? But did I ever say, hey, let's talk about it. Hey, let me show you that, you know, you said it. We're in a golden age of content, right? Mm -hmm. You say that all the time. Did I ever pull up the graphic for him showing him? Look at these batting averages from hitters' counts down to pitchers' counts. What do you notice? What do you notice? Let's talk about a 3-1 count. Let's talk about a 2-0 count. This is a simple conversation, folks. It isn't like this is rocket science or earth-shattering, and I'm wondering if I ever had it with my son. This is awful on my part. I'm thinking to myself, I had to have had it at some juncture. Could I have possibly not had it? But gosh, I can't remember it. And the truth of the matter is it's a very simple conversation of saying, when you're in that batter's box, I've told you a thousand times that you need to not be thinking. That doesn't mean that you're not cognizant of the count and understanding that it's 2-0. He needs to throw a strike here. I need to be aggressive. (laughs) That word right there is the one that I wonder if I ever really said to my son.
2: I had a holy crap moment my senior year. (laughs) Holy crap. (laughs) It's a holy crap moment. So junior year, I batted just under 300. One home run, three doubles. I was a guy that just was a slap hitter. And then I took a deep breath and looked at my videos um, from Missouri State, because Missouri State, um, at the Division One level, they film everything, literally everything. And I looked at my counts and looked at how I was approaching it at bat, and I was like, holy crap, the pitchers are throwing me inside. I'm an inside fastball guy that's my strong suit. That's who I am. I'm a guy that sits on fastballs and I just love driving them. But I was getting myself into really bad counts. I was going after pitches on the outside corner that were, frankly, I was never good at. I could slap it the other way, but I couldn't drive it the other way. I changed my approach, End up going, um, crowding the plate and challenging that guy to throw me in. I The next year, senior year, I ended up almost breaking the doubles record Hit six home runs, and I was a switch hitter, so I had to worry about both sides of the plate. So when you're talking about it, like when when you're when you're with with your sons or um, your daughters if you're doing softball, film them from the backside to see see what they're looking at from from the home plate, and say, hey, the, these pitches on the outside corner, you're letting those go, or hey, these pitches are down the plate, you just missed that pitch, you did not even swing at it, you need to go after that pitch. Well, you know, again, I. You mentioned something though. When was that for you? When that did that was, happen for that you? That was my senior year fall.
1: Okay. So, how old were you then? 17,
2: 18? No, no, that, no, 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 no. College. Oh, in college? In college. College. Yes.
1: Okay. So, you're 22.
2: I'm 22. Okay. I have 22. I've played this game for, oh, what, 18 years at okay, that point?
1: So, let me ask you this question. And you were a good player. Mm. Okay. And you had had success even though you didn't really understand your approach. Yeah. Right?
2: I was going up there blindly.
1: When, at what age do you think if somebody would have maybe mentioned it to you, do you think you could have understood it? Just being on it. Like, I mean, it's a guess purely, of course, but like if you can think back to your career, if somebody would have had a conversation with you about that, at what age do you think you would have understood it to be complete? Like, and you can be, you can be lenient one way or the other.
2: If it was the right person at the right time, I bet you 16 years old for me. I, I think I think 'cause I was, that's when I got really, really serious about baseball, where I really enjoyed the game and I wanted to be the best I could possibly be.
1: Okay, so what if you dummied it down a little bit? What if you dummied it down to a simple, Hey guys, it's you know, this is a throw a strike, get it over situation. We need to be aggressive here. And and I'm asking you this. This is a setup
2: question for a
1: total another thing. So go ahead. And I don't, not in a bad way. So,
2: so I did get an approach and that was when I was 10 years old. Okay. My dad brought out a sheet and had, it was very basic stuff. Like he was a football guy. He had had no idea about baseball counts or anything like that, but he printed off a sheet and had 00, 01, 02, 11, 12, all the way down the list from the counts. And him not knowing baseball, he literally sat there and did it with math and said, what do you think t- told all of us? What do you think the chances are of you getting a fastball in this count? What are your chances of getting a curveball in this count? And we all like said, da, 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 da. where do you think you're going to get all your hits? and all of us looked at each other and like oh 1-0 counts 2-0 counts 2-1 counts so i did have an approach at that point i think that's the very basics and i think that's where it needs to start then you start getting into more complex situations where you have a guy on second and third with one out i think this is a high school conversation where hey you're 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 you're, you're going to get a curveball most likely you're going to get an off-speed pitch in the beginning of the count
1: well okay so cuz then that's great I'm glad you said that because that's kind of where I was going with this so think about this that approach of with that mindset requires what? it requires the approach and then it requires acting on the approach so if you're going to act on that approach what do you have to do? what you have to do is you have to swing at 3-1 fastballs you have to swing at 2-0 oh, fastballs you have to swing sometimes in certain situations at 0 oh, oh, fastballs
2: now here's a question Chrome 3-1 okay. three, three, count okay Pitcher throws a fastball on the outer third, and you're an inner third hitter.
1: Well, okay. Now you're talking, in my opinion, about an older age. There you go. At a younger age, you're neither an inner or an outer. You're, you should be learning how to cover the plate, in my opinion.
2: So you're saying if it's over the middle of the plate, hit it.
1: On three-one. Okay, that's where I'm going with this question. Yep. Okay, so now we're into... And again, I don't mean, you know, and again, I, I, I do and I don't because I believe what I believe. And I encourage you, if you disagree, to do the same with me. Now we're getting into, okay, how you coach as a young coach, as a, as a coach of a young team. And this is the one that's always gotten gotten me going, okay? Are you making all your kids take on three O? If it's 2-0, are we taking till we get a strike? Are we never swinging at the first pitch? Are we doing this all in an effort to do what? Win a youth baseball game. Or are you more concerned with helping your guys become the best players they can be? What's your approach? My approach? I would much rather my kids learn how to hit. And I can promise you as I sit here today, you have a better chance if the kid learns how to be aggressive with fastball strikes of him being a better hitter than taking fastball strikes
2: and i always hated that rule take take a oh. strike that doesn't make any sense whatsoever and then you'll say well what about the last inning I, I agree in certain situations yes but i'm a guy that let's say hey if you see the fastball hunting it go for it let's let's hunt that fastball i'm just
1: trying to figure out if anybody can give me a good explanation of why to take in two fastballs. Listen,
2: unless you're trying to extend the game, I mean that's the well, only thing I can really sure. Think
1: of. Now that's a th- little bit different. Now you're talking about a situation. Yeah, we're down four runs. We need base runners. While I am concerned about your development, we're also listen. Winning's part of it. I don't. I'm not. I've never said it wasn't. I'm talking about an approach on the whole. I'm talking about the 90% of the time, first through fifth inning, trying to hit, trying to trying to do. I'm not talking about you getting to that one game where you're down a run and, and he throws the first three pitches outside the zone and you put the take on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in general. There's a coach. Now, see, you want to be a coach, there's a coach. All game long, you're working on your kids. You put yourself in a position where you're down a run. Now go ahead and coach. Now we're going to take. But to blindly do it to a kid every at bat, I'll never understand, unless you are all about the W. Have you ever heard of the shoebox theory? No, but I'd love to hear it. I I have an
2: idea what it probably is, but go ahead. Okay, so you have the strike zone itself, right? 17 inches across the plate and then um, knees to chest. So you have a shoebox, and on an 0-0 count, you you, you imagine a shoebox over the middle of the plate. If the ball goes into that area, you swing at it. If you get a strike, you expand it out. You get a bigger shoebox, then a bigger shoebox. That's the only explanation I can really think about if a coach is really trying to teach hitting. He's saying, okay, oh oh count. If it's not in your shoebox, don't hit it.
1: Yeah, okay, so again, we're talking about a basic approach, mm-hmm. right? I like the shoebox theory. Um, you know, I always asked my kids, okay, I always asked them to have, a, have an idea of what a strike is and isn't. Now – I always used to also say that we also know that umpires like to expand the strike zone. So I don't want you to freak out because here's the deal. It kind of goes with what I said on a show we did not too long ago about, um, about, um, uh, what's the word? We did a show about, um, I can't think of what, anyway, here's where I'm going with this. All I'm asking you to do. Okay. Is go up there and compete with an approach To be aggressive in an 0-0, a 2-0, a 3-1 count. If oh, I know what it was. Okay, this is where I was going with this. So think about this. My son got out of the car and I said, "Are you nervous at his tryouts?" And and he said, "Yes, of course I'm nervous." And I said, "Why are you nervous?" And he said, "Well, I don't want to. You know, I play middle infield. I mean, I don't want to make. If I make errors, I mean, I make the team. If I throw the ball, you know, if I, you know, I'm not the biggest kid on the team. I got to." I said, "Okay." I get you, and that is a natural feeling, but let me tell you what I think, and then you do what you want with it. A coach worth his salt is watching how you field the ground ball. He's watching how you approach it, how you do what you do. He's going to look at your swing. You're more concerned with results. Don't be so concerned with results as how you do what you do. That's where I was going with this. That's how I feel you should do it as a young man. That's how I feel you should do it as a coach. Quit being so concerned with results. Yes, results matter. Because ultimately, results determine whether you win or lose. And we all like to win. But I promise you, it is proven, judging by the thing that we showed, that, that we talked about, the simple chart. If you take a good approach and this is how you go at it, you have increased your chances to have success. So why do we not do that? Uh,
2: I When I, I teach lessons and a lot of players, they, well, they they focus on that result. And I, one kid I had yesterday, twelve year old, we talked about him last last show. Um, he's a big kid, gonna hit a ton of home runs. And he got mad about a ball that was off the outer third of the plate. That he was not, he's not a hitter on the outer third. He's a guy that hits, that's more inner third type of guy. And he was mad because um, he hit that pitch on a line drive and he should have hit that ball out of the ballpark. I'm like, that's not your pitch, man. You need to go after your pitch. You missed an inner third pitch and you fouled it straight back and I didn't see you go, oh, man. You have to attack that. That's the pitch you should be mad at, not the one where you hit a nice, easy line drive over the second baseman's head.
1: You know, for me, when I think about this, it kind of goes back to, okay, so parents are out there listening to this and they're going, okay, coach, you're talking to me about approach okay, what do I look for? How do I tell this? And, and I used to say this. We used to play teams, and I'd sit on my bucket, and, you know, if you really are coaching, you know, you're assessing situations and how you go about things, and you would watch kids, and, you know, typical in all of youth baseball, you know, especially if you're going to play AAA major, you're looking over there, and a lot of times there's bigger, mature kids, and they dominate games. And, you know, you'd see them in the cage, and they'd hit the ball real hard. But if you'd watch them, real close a lot of times unfortunately kids dominate baseball at a young age that are more physically imposing or if they're a little older a little more mature physically but a lot of times and this is sad they only do that because they are physically more dominant maybe mentally more dominant advanced a lot of times their mechanics are not very good That's an inherent part of being bigger at a younger age. You don't have control of your body. I've always said what you get is you get kids that are bigger and aren't as good athletes because they're just not in their bodies yet and they dominate and then nobody does anything to them. They let them swing the bat poorly. They let them throw it improperly. They overuse them. And then when they get to high school, everybody goes, what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. You didn't coach him because he was getting a bunch of hits. He was striking a bunch of people out, and you never said anything to him because he was having success. But the reality of it is he's never swung the bat properly. He's never thrown the ball properly. You didn't give him any rest because you rode him like Seabiscuit. That's why. Okay. Now go the other way with it and say this. Okay. What about the kid and I don't care if he's big, small, or little, that gets his front foot down and you see those hips going when he takes. That's the kid I'm worried about because he has an approach. He's attacking the ball. You know what I mean? You you know what I'm saying? Oh, And that's that's exactly the approach I used to ask my kids to do. And for some reason, it was the hardest thing. You would have to remind them all the time. If when, you know, whatever you... Listen, here's the beautiful thing about this. There is no one way to do this. My point is, if you watch a big league hitter, okay, unless they're taking... I say this all the time. Unless you're taking, they get hit because you can't get out of the way. Yeah, They're lucky to get out of the way because they're unbelievable athletes. But the truth of the matter is they're committed. They're, that's right. And when that front foot hits the ground, whether you're a soft step guy, whether you're a, a, a toe touch, whether you're a high leg kick, whether you're a pick it up and put it down, whether you stride at all. They're attacking. The when that heel hits the ground, those hips are going. Now, the upper half doesn't release until we commit. Mm-hmm. Those are the guys you got to be worried about and why is
2: that? Because they have an approach. An They've t- got an attack approach. And I tell my pitchers and I, I coach at the 16U level right now and I told them if you see a guy that has a lame backside or a guy that's not attacking the pitch, guess what you get to throw him? Like what? Curveball. Throw throw him a curveball. Throw him off-speed pitch, then bust him back in with a fastball. Those are the guys that are the easy outs. But then when we face guys that are attacking with their lower half, that's the guy that we need to worry about. That's who we need to go after. We need to go attack him. We need to try to figure out a way to get him out.
1: I used to say that when I would see that, I'd say, you know what, he may not have any success today or tomorrow, or he may be a littler guy, but I'd like to see that kid in a few years because he understands it at a young age. And I used to love to see those kind of kids. And then occasionally I would have the opportunity to either work with or have kids play for me that I had watched for years and I liked their approach. And I would tell their parents later, I would say, and they would look at me like I was crazy. I'd say, you know what? Um, you know, I was really excited about him doing this because I love the way he goes and they would look at me and say yeah you know but he's struggling I'd say don't worry about that I said be more concerned with this look how he goes about this watch this Da-da-da-da. and they would look at me like I was a little nuts and I'd be like listen I know you want him to get three hits every game and I know you want him to strike everybody out be more concerned with how he's doing it and why he's doing it and again that's easy to say over a microphone because you and I are the same when it comes to this mm-hmm. you get out there your juices get going, you want to win a game. I've said it a thousand times over. I'm no different than anybody out there. I get on that field with my kids, I'm a part of that, and I want to win that game. It's my job to rein myself in and not do anything to physically harm them to win a baseball game, but I and it's also my job to help them get better. And if we can win while we're doing that, awesome. Have you seen Blaze
2: Jordan? Do you know who that is? I've heard of him. He's the he's, kid. The, he's yeah. the kid that just hits these mammo tanks. Yeah. And you're like, how is this kid doing it? He reminds me of Bryce Harper when he was young. He attacks the lower half, and that that is the biggest change. When you're talking about a really really solid hitter, and in, obviously Bryce Harper, Blaze Jordan, they were they physical specimens. But when you're talking about a 12 year old and he's he's a little bit undersized, if he can attack the lower half with the lower half, he's going to be a fantastic hitter when he gets when he gets mature, starts getting um, past puberty, and start starts developing muscles. Well,
1: again, we're, you know, this whole thing's about approach, folks. And, you know, as we look at this and we try to decide, you know, okay, okay, Jim, okay, Spiker, you've talked about the approach. What is the approach? That's the easy, you know, the easy part is to sit sit something in front of a kid or stick something in front of a kid, like Spiker mentioned, and you, you say, listen, you know, this chart that Spiker mentioned, I, it's a very simple chart. I mean, it shows you the percentages and how your average goes down. Let me let me assure you something of all the things that that you can argue with. What you can argue with is, OK, well, in youth baseball, that chart would probably look different because what are they trying to do as a kid? They're just trying to throw a strike. So that chart may not apply to nine and ten you baseball because, you know, they're not. Well, they shouldn't be. They're not throwing breaking pitches and hit fastball counts and stuff like that. So you could say that. But the chart makes sense to explain to them why you are aggressive in certain situations. You take that and you kind of combine it with an overall attitude of, hey, Johnny, hey, Billy, hey, Donnie, (laughs) what I want you to do is go up there and I want you to attack balls that are strikes. That's what I want you to do. I'm more into that than sending a kid at 9 and 10 and 12 years old, whatever, up there and going, let's lay off those tough pitches. Now let's try to get our... That I have a bigger problem with than telling a kid, look, I want you to go up there and I want you to very simply put your A swing on strikes. That's what I want you to do. That's an easy approach. It's also an aggressive approach, which I can assure you, if you've watched any youth baseball games in your life, if you have ever dealt with a youth baseball team, I would much rather have to rein a kid in than try to get him aggressive. What is the... what? As a coach, I can think of the one thing that I used to have an issue with my team with after most games that drove me nuts. What would drive you nuts as a parent? How many called third strikes are we going to take? And that was my that was my thing about Votto and Carpenter. Well, then it goes even back to this: is that why are we in that situation, anyways? Yeah, how do we get here? Now, if you got there because you were aggressive and you put yourself in a pitcher's count and he made a good pitch, see, but that's what I'm saying. If you're a coach worth your salt, okay and you're consistent with your message, the kid knows that's a tough pitch. I don't need you to come back and tell me. I know. And you have to help your kids understand that you understand that. Now you can take it the other way. I cannot tell you the number of times in the number of years that I did this that I made it a point, because this is what a coach should be doing, to watch a kid strike out on an awfully called strike and immediately go to him and say, I don't ever want you to swing at that pitch, ever. Okay, put your glove on and get rid of the mindset on it and let's move on. It's not a strike. It's not even close. And then that same kid takes a pitch on the corner. I go to him and say, now that is a strike. Okay, know what a strike is and a strike isn't. And yes, the strike zone is very different now than it's going to be. But if you really want to be good at this, you got to know what a strike is and a strike isn't. And if you know what a strike isn't and you take it, I'm never going to say a word. Simple. My kids understood that; they got it because I was consistent with my message. We've all had them called against us, folks, and, and and we can yell at umpires and get mad. at We want you got that guy that calls chalk to chalk and da 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 da. Uh, but I'm, then I'm, again,
2: it goes back to that: it, you don't need to be in that situation. I got a strategy right here, something tangible that they that a coach can take and they can use it. Look at home plate. Get two baseballs. Measure measure inside three inches on the inside and the outside, and then place a ball on both of those edges. Anything, any ball that goes in between those two baseballs, tell the kid to hit it. Yes. That's the best strategy for a nine to 10-year-old kid. Because yeah, you can talk shoebox theory if you want, but some kids just, it doesn't click for them. But if you can take two baseballs and put them on that plate, and you measure three inches in, and they, they can actually see that, that's a good approach. You know,
1: I think the conversation that I had more than the ball and strike thing was, I think I said this more. When you watch a kid take a called third strike, I used to just get rid of the the mindset completely, and I would say, you weren't ready to hit it anyway.
2: Mm.
1: You just took that pitch, your hips never flinched. I never saw the back elbow drop in the slot, never. You, If it was a strike, you couldn't have hit it. You gave
2: up on it right out of the hand. And I think that's what it goes back to is, it's the mentality. I think that's what kind of irks us as coaches is like, okay, get it going. Get some confidence. Yes. Attack yes. the ball. Let's go. You know, I, I I'm going to
1: tell you that <laughs> this is not rocket science, folks. If you <laughs> – listen, we're – you can sugarcoat stuff and you can put stuff behind the curtain and act like it doesn't exist. But the reality of it is we all see these kids that are really good at a young age. And, and that's what sparks all this. I can't get my kid behind. I, I don't want to leave him behind. I got to get him more. do Okay. One of the things that nobody ever pays attention to about all these kids is typically, and I would say 99 times out of 100, one of the things that makes that kid so good is he's aggressive. He's aggressive, and I'm not just talking out in the batter's box. He's not afraid to go out there and play on the middle infield. He's not afraid to go out there and play center field and dive for balls and try to make plays, and does he make every one of them? No, he doesn't. Does he throw a strike every time? No, he doesn't, but I guarantee you he gets up on the mound, and he says, give me the ball, and he gets out there to short, and he says, hit it to me, and he gets out there to center field, and he says, hit it here, and I'm going to do this, and he gets in the batter's box and says, throw it in here, and I'm going to swing at it. 99 times out of 100, that's where the mentality comes from most of the really good players you see at the youth level. Now, how do you get the mentality? Well, again, not everybody has it. I think you can get it, though. Well, no, I agree. I think you can help. Now, some kids naturally have it. Some of those kids are more mentally mature than other kids. Some kids, listen, I'm not calling anybody out here, but this kind of goes back to something we've always talked about, and that is you need to change your approach. You need to change your mentality. Steve Springer, who we've had on the show a couple times, they're always one of the most well-received shows on here. I don't understand why it's so hard. He tells you all the time, change what is success and failure to you. The game gets a lot easier if you don't put it all – you're the best players in the world fail 70% of the time, and you're not the best. You're going to fail a lot at this game. Worry about your approach. Go out there and be aggressive and have fun. And, you know, hey, listen, I'm one of those guys. I wanted J.D. Drew when he was in St. Louis. I wanted him to throw his helmet and say a bad word. I wanted Jim Edmonds to show some emotion. I wanted Matt Holliday when he made an error to throw his glove on the ground. But that's why those guys were great. They could handle the failure.
2: Go out, be aggressive, let it fly. I think what goes down to it is that, and here's I have a good question for you. Do you think hitters back in the 30s and 40s were way better hitters? than today not not pitching not being it do you think their approach was better well you, um because they they would choke up and they would fight pitches off yeah they, they yeah it was a well
1: okay to answer your question basically uh i don't know that it's changed a whole lot from uh, i love the image all the time of uh that matt lyle sends out all the time we you know friend of ours matt yep. lyle the great the great hitting guy um, I love the thing where – because he – I guarantee you one of his pet peeves is when people say, well, hitting's changed so much in the last 50, 60 years. And he always puts up the image of Babe Ruth and David Ortiz right next to one another and how their swings are almost identical. Yep. Okay? Um, I love when Justin Stone and, and Tewksbury and them say, you think hitting's so different, but sequentially it's not. Let me show you how Dave, how uh, Ichiro and Pujols' swing are almost identical. And you're like, What? Pujols has no movement in his swing at all. Ichiro doesn't. Now, at the very beginning, they don't, but they all get to a point where the swings are almost identical. So I would say from that standpoint, I'm not sure. But what I do like, again, and I know where you're going with this, you're right. You watch these guys choke up, fight off pitches, do this, be okay with slapping the ball, doing all this kind of stuff, and now the mindset, now it's more of a damage mindset now. So to answer your question, I guess it would depend on what you really like. Because if you're one of those guys that appreciates contact, put the bat on the ball, don't give yourself up, then you would probably say hitters have gotten away from that, like a lot of people have said. Like, oh, These approaches are off. Mike Shannon says it all the time during a Cardinal game. These guys, you know, and you kind of laugh about it. But then the new age would tell you, well, let me tell you why we're doing that. Because what we've realized over time is that yeah, you may think that's great that I didn't strike out and I and I choked up and I, and I, and I hit some little dribbler to the shortstop. At least I didn't strike out. Well, you know what else I did? I didn't do any damage because I changed my approach and all I wanted to do was just throw my bat out and flip it at the baseball. So I, I don't know that I have a great answer for you for that because I, I pride myself on liking the old school portion of baseball. I like that. Like like I like when I see great players choke up on a bat and and, and go up there and compete. Next time I see Rizzo and you see guys that have power do it. I see Anthony Rizzo do it. Joey Votto does it. You see these guys do it. Ted Williams used to say, I don't have any idea why anybody thinks they're going to sneak a fastball by Barry Bonds on the inside corner of the plate. He chokes up on the bat already an inch and a half. Who thinks they can sneak a fastball by this guy on the inside portion of the plate? Mm -hmm. So my point is, I don't have a great answer for you because I think the mindset may have been different, but I don't know what's better now. The mindset
2: was definitely different. Well the mindset we, was definitely different. We've talked about this where Bob Gibson went after that rookie oh, and yeah. told him, Hey, you're not digging in. And it was a typical thing when a pit, when a hitter digged in, he was basically telling it wasn't him just digging in to dig in. It was basically telling the pitcher, Hey, I'm here to I'm here to tango, big boy. Let's go.
1: Yeah. You know. So you know, um, you know, there's stories about Babe Ruth when he was hitting all these home runs and teams would act like this and he would slap a ball down the left field line and laugh and giggle and do all this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I hear them talking about this stuff and saying, you know, ground balls are bad. You know, at the end of the day, it, 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 you think that that old school people, have, you got to choke up, and make some contact. Well, what good does it do me to choke up and make some contact if I don't do anything, if, if it does, can't do anything? What good is some contact? You know, like the strikeout rates. The old school people have a real problem with the strikeout rates. And then the new age generation would say, you're going to strike out if you're going to be a damage guy. Because that's how you do damage. So, again. It's knowing who you are. Is that
2: that where we're getting down to? Yeah, kind of. But let me ask
1: you this. What role does the pitching play in this? Because I think the one thing that we know for sure is the pitching is way more dominant than it was. Oh, yeah. We
2: talked about Noah Syndergaard um, last week last episode guys averaging 97 is that what you said averaging yeah. 97 mile an hour fastball that's yeah. ridiculous
1: and that's the one thing we know for sure um i always like the argument of could babe Ruth with babe ruth have been babe ruth today and i say well that's a tough one because you you look at these guys you look at bryce harper today and you say well bryce harper's bryce harper and he has all this stuff and i always say well you're assuming that babe ruth didn't have something in him that he couldn't have brought with him to today's game and then added in all this other stuff. Now, what I say to everybody is this. It's not even a chicken and egg thing because it really, in my opinion, does come down to the pitching, the specialization in the bullpen, all that kind of stuff. Because if, in fact, Bryce Harper and Mike Trout are so good, why are they not doing the things that Babe Ruth did?
2: And also you're not thinking about Babe Ruth playing the dead ball era too. Yeah, I think he he went – dead ball to live ball didn't he he kind of was it but but again he was hitting mammo home runs with the dead ball right the guy could just flat out hit i mean look at his mechanics now now that
1: was an interesting thing too that was an interesting thing too of approach yeah until he started doing it you know uh who was the guy that said i could have hit who was the guy that said he could have hit 700 home runs but he he goes but i wasn't trying
2: i I don't know was
1: it man that wasn't mantle Somebody said I could have hit six or seven hundred home runs, but I didn't try to. I was trying to hit four hundred. It might have been Ted Williams. It could have been somebody like that.
2: But I mean, no, that, I think that was Ted or Co- uh, Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb said that. Yeah, it was he said, somebody. I, like- he said I could hit home runs just like Babe Ruth, but I decided not to. Yeah, I wanted to hit the ball on the ground and let my legs work.
1: Yeah, it was somebody like that. But my point on that is, is what is that? That's an approach. Yeah. It's an approach. It's a change in approach. You've and gotta, that's what it has to be.
2: It, it comes down to this. you got to know what type of player you are. And then as a coach, that's the hardest part. That's the art of coaching is right. knowing each player, developing an approach for each player, and saying, hey, I, I really do see that you're you're hitting the ball really well when the ball's inner third or outer third. And I do that all the time with my players. I talk about each bat. If a guy had a bat at bat, I was like, "What what pitch were you going on? He looks at me like, well, I, I swung at the curveball. I'm like, well, were you sitting on a curveball? No. Well, why did you hit that? Why, why did you go after that? That doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. Uh, I heard a great conversation, and, and, and you know, we got to get going here. But great. You know, when you get the opportunity to watch a Major League Baseball game and a former player that was a really good player and, and, and can articulate the game well, when he starts talking about things that were going on in his head and what was going on when he played, pay attention to that. I love listening to Jim Edmonds on the Cardinal shows now. He really does get into the mindset of what you're thinking in in certain situations. And you realize real quick that, you know, I've given enough training and stuff in my day to tell kids, hey, listen, get in that batter's box and don't think. And I don't know that that's necessarily true anymore. I think your approach is part of ever – I mean, it's a – what is it? It's a battle, one pitch to the next. And that's how these guys approach it. You know, we talk about – you know, an at-bat takes so long, it's because it's pitch by pitch, and these guys are in there grinding every at-bat. You think about the guys that used to really do – I mean, one of my favorite all-time players who turned out to be a goofball is Lenny Dykstra. He grinded every at-bat. He treated every pitch like it was the seventh game of the World Series. And I guarantee you those guys are hard to play against,
2: really hard. We are – again, I say this again, we're in the golden age of content. Ten years ago – we didn't really have much of an approach. You had the Ted Williams thing where you could see what he hit every um, through all the locations on the strike zone. But I remember when I was in college, I did I did three things. I ended up looking up videos on um, all the hitting mechanics. I ended up trying to find interviews on all of the hitters, and then I consulted with um, some professional guys that I knew um, through my network. So when we're talking about an approach, I think that's the same thing for um, the high school guys, if we're talking with the high school guys, is really breaking it down, taking down video. If you're in the youth baseball, what I I really recommend is doing the two baseball approach. Take the two baseballs, put them on the plate, and then keep it a very, very simple approach. Yeah,
1: again, I think this conversation was like anything else. This is a golden age of information and, and content, as you say. Uh, We pride ourselves on just bringing up topics and and then letting you decide how important they are to you. But more importantly, thought-provoking. And, again, what do we always say? We want to hear your thoughts on this, so don't forget you can email us, jim at youthbaseballtalk.com. Please do that. We would love, love, love to hear your comments, especially on things where you can very easily go back and forth on opinions and theories and things like that. There's more than one way to skin a cat, of course. Uh, The only thing I ever get queasy or or leery about is when we start talking about the health of kids because I'm just i going to err on the side of caution as always. But in something like this, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, so don't forget to email us. Or you can go through our social media channels, at Podcast Baseball on Twitter. Of course, Youth Baseball Talk on Facebook as well. Uh, These topics and things like this, this is what we're asking when you see them, if you would just share them around through social media, through your network of teams and players that is the way we're going to grow this show and reach as many people involved in the great game of youth baseball as possible.
2: And let's talk about this on social media. I mean, uh, put out a comment when you see that post come out, send out a comment and ask us a question on the co- on the actual post itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, neither one of us, I think, have ever uh, classified ourselves as experts for sure, but we sure do know a lot of good people in this. And if we don't have a good answer for you, we're not just going to give you one. Uh, we want to get those influencers involved in our conversations. And and really, at the end of the day, that's one of the things that we feel like we bring to the table is the ability to reach a Matt Lyle or a Rick Strickland or Lance Wheeler, you know, from Lance the Wheeler side. or these guys, uh, a Justin Stone, uh, a Bob Tewksbury, you know, Steve Springer. These are guys that have dedicated a lot of time and energy and effort into doing some of the things we've talked about the last couple shows, pushing that envelope a little bit, trial and error, trying some things, see what they work. And then giving you some insight into, hey, this seems to provide some really good results. You might want to look at it. And again, that goes back to what Spiker always says: we're in the golden age of content. Uh, my buddy Fish always says, you got your computer box here. Google's the greatest thing ever.
2: Um, I can't wait to see where the game ends up in five years. And um, just being on this show—that's that's what I'm excited about.
1: Well, think about you know you you know you kind of said it. I mean, if you really really think about it, I mean, I you know 97.9 miles an hour. That's one thing that we can put a number on that we know that that was not the average fastball 10 years ago. So what was it 50 years ago? I mean, you can you can just do the math. Nobody's saying they didn't have guys that threw hard in the 20s and 30s and 40s. It just wasn't as many.
2: How's, now, your, how's your fantasy, by the way? Is it is it going all right?
1: No, it's awful. <laughs> Wait a minute. When you go into a season and you have both Madison Baumgartner and Noah Syndergaard, and you're thinking, I got the best pitching staff in the league. Because then I've – not only that, I had Johnny Cueto. I have – you know, I, I had set it up where I had a great pitching staff, but I also I, I had a really good team on paper going into this year. I mean, I was a favorite in the league, and I've had nothing but injuries. I mean, nothing but injuries. You need to,
2: you need to text them and say, hey, stop working Here, out.
1: Let me tell you who I have <laughs> on my team on the DL. I have Josh Donaldson, Madison Bumgarner, and Noah Syndergaard. Yes, I have those guys, and they're all on the DL. And have been, and will be, continue to be. So, problem. Don't do it. Don't do it, folks. It's awful. It's awful. It's awful. Uh, Really enjoyed this conversation today, my man. Love it. Looking forward to the next one as well. Um, We touched a little bit in this one. Uh, The next topic, just to give you a little tease, success at an early age versus the process. Uh, I touched on it a little bit, some of the stuff you see at the youth level and you kind of ask questions, wonder why, maybe want that for yourself. We're going to tell you to take take a pause, pay attention to what you're seeing, use some common sense, do a little checking around on content, but more importantly, Trust the process. We're going to do that next week on the show. Uh, right now, uh, we're going to remind you to make sure you support theropetrainer.com, our good friends Earl Perrin, John Smulch, Chris Verna. John Smulch will tell you all the time, if big leaguers and little leaguers had one of these, uh, it would be an amazing thing for them. He He says as much in his own thing. If he would have had one of those, he thinks he definitely could have prolonged his career. He doesn't think he would have had some of the injuries. It's even backed by more than just feeling it and doing some things with it. They now have scientific data to back up why it's such an important tool. Make sure you check them out, theropetrainer.com. Now we're going to go over to one of our other great content guys, Justin Stone, Travis Kerber, all the gang over at EliteBaseball.tv. They're a great baseball program, but they're a great product, EliteBaseball.tv. I highly encourage you to check it out. They give us their tip each and every week, and we do appreciate it. Let's go over to them now. Take it away, guys.
3: Thanks, Jim. Justin Stone here with EliteBaseball.tv. This week's tip of the week is going to cover when the bat begins. You know, so often when I do lessons this time of year, I like to have players do some self-reflection, some evaluation on how their at-bats are going. And I do so in three areas. The categories are, I ask them how they feel about their swing, the mechanical side. Number two, their timing. Are they early, late, or on time? And three, their pitch selection. And so I wanna know, are players attacking balls in their hitter zones, specifically early in the count? And one of the things that struck my mind in the last couple days is a player that was telling me, and their dad confirmed, is that oftentimes they are taking the first strike. They're taking the first pitch of the at-bat. And I had him think about this for a second, because we know with hitting with two strikes is already a very difficult task. And the batting averages tend to lower about 200 points once we get into a two-strike count. So if right away I'm giving the first strike to the pitcher, and we'll say the ball is in the pitcher's court oftentimes in a two-strike count, that leaves us, the hitter, with the advantage only 33% of the at bat. So the odds are stacked against me at this point. And the point I was making to the player, you know pitchers are trying to get ahead of us with pitch one. They're not trying to nibble. And the more they get ahead of the count, the more they move to the edges of the zone, even at the youngest levels. Pitchers are smart enough to realize if I don't have to throw a ball in the middle of the plate, and I can get it out, why would I throw a ball in the middle of the plate? I'm gonna to continue to work to the edge of the zone, or even better yet, make a, p- a hit or chase by throwing a ball out of the zone. So we have to be ready to hit pitch one. That may be the best pitch of the entire sequence. So what we're gonna talk about today is how we prepare for pitch one. And it's not to me, when does the abat begin? To me, it's the abat never ceases to end. As soon as we're preparing for the game that day, I get my eyes on the pitcher in the bullpen, and it doesn't matter what level we're talking about here, because I wanna see arm slot, I wanna see timing of delivery, and I want to see what is this pitcher's out pitch. Now that's going to be for older levels of baseball. But you can tell right away if a guy has a hammer in the break, with a breaking ball in the bullpen. Or he's throwing some special pitch. Maybe he's got a split finger. You're going to see that from glove signals and action of the ball. So we can get information about the day. I was a leadoff batter. This was really important to me. I was doing a lot of my preparing for the at-bat by watching the guy in the bullpen. So I'm watching those things to get prepared for my at-bat and for the pitcher that day. And what I say, it never ceases to end, is we continue to watch the player and a pitcher in the game. I can get a lot of information about what the pitcher is doing, pitch sequences, is the pitcher up and down in the zone, what is the strike zone like of the umpire, if we simply just watch the game. And that's hard to do for our youngest players because their attention spans aren't very great. So what I do as the coach, a youth coach, I ask my players questions on the bench. They better be able to answer those questions. So I try to point out things that are happening in the game as a coach to get the player's focus turned or directed to those cues. As we get older, we're trying to find if pitchers have tendencies of what they're doing in the glove to tip off certain pitches. But you have to watch the game with a keen eye to pick those things up. And you'll be surprised how much information you get about the game when you start watching the game with a critical eye. So that's step one. We're watching, we're observing, and we're learning. Next, we're preparing for the bat by getting in the hole or we're getting on deck. Sometimes it varies how many players can get ready for that next at bat based on the rec league or as we get older into a real level of baseball, high school and above. I see a lot of times in the rec league that a dad will get off on the backside with some ball and a string and players are hacking away at this thing. You know, at this point, the kids are loose. Right. It's 75 degrees, 85 degrees in the majority of our summer games. They don't need to go out and be twirling around with sticks and balls on a string. What they need to be doing is getting their timing set on the pitcher and focusing again on release points. The younger the players, the more common the release point is, is at a very similar position. As we get older, players get larger, limbs get longer, we'll see some variance in release points. So That becomes more and more important as we get down the road, picking out that window of where the ball is coming out. But with all players, the hardest thing about hitting is timing, and we wanna get our timing set well before we get into the batter's box and attack in pitch one, being ready to hit pitch one. So whether I'm in the hole, whether I'm on deck, we'll show you a couple pictures here if you're watching the video of what players at the collegiate and professional level are doing during the at-bat. They are getting ready on deck and in the hole by going through, visualizing the at-bat themselves, with the pitcher being live. They're getting their timing set on the pitcher's release. We've said many times before that the pelvis of the player is gonna gain ground on pitcher's release. So we need to rewind and find out how our unique individual load, how long it takes so we can get the load stride process started on time in a slow, smooth tempo. How do you figure that out? Well, it's not the first two pitches of the bat in the batter's box. You're figuring that out when you're in the hole when you're on deck or visualizing it, just going through it in your mind while you're sitting on the bench four, five, or six hitters down the road. You can still visualize and get a feel for the pincher's tempo and how that's gonna match up with your own tempo. So these are very important cues. As we get older, I say we put a little more fine detail into that of what the pitcher's sequences are like. How is he pitching like batters like me? Am I a small run guy? Am I a bigger hitter in the middle of the order? How does he vary his pitch sequences for hitters like that? And then of course we're going to use previous knowledge of that pitcher and previous at bats to arm us in the next at bats. We're not going to let the pitcher get us out the same way multiple times without making an adjustment. And that's the game within the game and why precisely I say that the bat never ceases to end. It's not when does it begin. So we're ready to attack. Pitch one, The game is on, and we're ready to hit that first pitch of the at-bat. Until next week, this is Justin Stone. Come see us at EliteBaseball.tv, free for 48 hours. Until then, we'll see you on the field.
1: Great stuff as always. Greatly appreciate it. Couldn't do the show without all the great content that we get from some of the great uh, influencers, both within the game of baseball and social media, of course. And again, I highly encourage you to check out EliteBaseball.tv. Let's take it over now to my good friend Rick Strickland. He does the Ask Rick segment each and every week. I know you guys are enjoying sending us the – the questions, keep them coming. Again, as you know, Spiker says, we'd love to have your engagement. Don't forget, uh, you can do that through Twitter at Podcast Baseball or on Facebook at Youth Baseball Talk. Or, of course, you can always email us, Jim, at YouthBaseballTalk.com. Let's take it on over to, to, to Rick now and get his Ask Rick, Ask Rick segment in, brought to you by the St. Louis Pirates and his friends at Blast Motion.
0: Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me again on the show. I'm always excited to get on here and answer a few questions from the audience uh, especially during the during baseball season people have a lot of different things that come to mind and uh, they want to try to get every advantage they can um, uh, to help their kids, son or daughter be able to, uh, to perform better on the field. The question this week is not a question I hadn't heard before. I've heard that before a uh, lot of times we've spoken about it uh, uh, with our players as well but the question this week we have for the show is when facing pitches at the youth levels should we tell our younger players not to even offer at a curveball or breaking pitch? Um, one of the things I would say is, you know, I assume that we are talking about, uh, you know, really young players, 11, 12, 13 years old, maybe even 14, perhaps 14. Uh, I find it interesting that you're having to have that discussion with people at that age, uh, that they're throwing enough breaking pitches to have you even, uh, even talk to your players about not offering at it. You know to, to to be in a situation where you have to make a decision on whether or not to swing at a curveball means that you're probably seeing a whole bunch of them you know if one gets thrown once a game or twice a game i don't think that that's much of an issue and i don't think you're going to be able to teach a kid to be able to recognize that particular type of pitch that he only sees once you know every two or three weeks or whatever it is like that but i find it very um interesting that the person who asked this question we'd be seeing a whole bunch of breaking pitches and would want to know a little bit more about what the age group of the player is at this point um, uh, that would put a kid in position to throw a lot of breaking pitches. So that's just my point. There's some people out there that thinks that, you know, you're not saving yourself for a big league level, so let the pitcher throw whatever he wants wants to at this point. Uh, again, my thing is, is that uh, breaking pitches aren't very difficult to hit if you are, especially the younger age group, because you know, most kids don't tend to, to uh, spin the ball that much, uh, but if you're operating biomechanically efficient and you're you've got a pretty good uh, idea of how to track pitches, um, you shouldn't have much of an issue with that. The issue with hitting breaking pitches is most of the time people, kids can't recognize them, even adults can't recognize them early enough, and so they end up offering at the ball. Uh, and usually breaking pitches. I don't think, and I haven't gone back and looked at some of the big league data on breaking pitches, but I only would have to assume that a lot less of those pitches are being thrown for strikes at that upper level, uh, which only leads me to believe that at the younger level, I'd assume that many curve balls that are being swung at are balls that are not strikes at all. So again, when you're you're, dis, you're disciplining kids, it's not that you shouldn't swing at it because you're intimidated about swinging at them. You know, if a pitcher throws your pitch that's a curveball, that's a strike, it's going to be a, a, a hittable pitch. You have to think about how the plane of the pitch is actually coming in. Any curveball that's thrown is actually going to pop up, so it's going to have a wider angle. So it may be coming down. When I say angle, the, the degrees of which it's coming to the plate may be, you know, a double digit 12, 13 degree slope to the plate. So the ball's going to pop up uh at that point. So if it's a strike, that means that ball's coming in high. We know that a lot of pitchers are taught to keep the ball down. If you're throwing curveballs for strikes, it's probably a pitch that's probably a very hitable pitch that you can swing at. So if you're seeing enough of those pitches that you have to make decisions on, uh, and you, I wouldn't discourage a kid from not swinging at curveballs that are thrown for strikes. It's part of the whole pitch recognition thought process that you go through. Um, if a kid doesn't see them very often, I don't know that you're going to be able to coach him by telling him not him or her, not to swing at it because he hadn't seen it much, so usually they are going to be fooled by those pitches. A lot of times in the instruction business when I'm talking to hitters that come in, they say, well, I'm having trouble with the curveball, having trouble with the curveball, and then you talk to them about where the pitch location was and see so the pitches is bouncing and things like that. So you're not really going to help that kid by improving his swing. You're going to improve that kid's swing by helping him identify which pitches to hit uh, with that. It doesn't matter whether that pitch is a curveball or fastball or whatever it's like that especially if they're strikes or pitches that they can handle. I should always be be too uh, uh, cautious to say strikes. We we definitely need to say the pitches that you can hit. Last night I was watching a game on TV. Uh, Seth Grinke got his no-hitter broken on a pitch that was a curveball or a slider that was down and in, and it was not a strike, and the guy hit it about 450 feet. So when we talk about pitch locations, we're talking about pitches that the hitter can hit, and that's based on an individual's not always, you know, uh, a pitch that that would be hittable for other pitches uh, other players based upon the swing so my advice to the guys if you tell them not to swing at a pitch I mean you could try that if a guy's throwing a lot of them he's not going any for strikes but you know I would say okay in most circumstances you got to continue to work with kids on identifying all types of pitches and teaching them how to how to swing that way so hopefully my rambling this week Jim helps some people uh in this process of becoming better players Uh, As usual, we can be reached on uh, trainwithrsb.com, or you can reach me uh, through that website either by sending us an email, text, uh, message, and, uh, you know, we can answer some questions further from you. Again, Jim, thanks for having me on. Look forward to being on the show next week. Thanks again.
1: Great stuff as always. Really appreciate it. Uh, Again, special thanks to Blast Motion and the whole St. Louis Pirates Nation for bringing Rick Rick to us each and every week. He's a busy guy, but he takes time out. Uh, We really do appreciate it. Um, good stuff today, my man. Really enjoy these conversations. These, you know, uh, typically what we do is, is, you know, the way Spiker and I do this, we try to mix it up a little bit. We're, we're always interested in bringing you great influencers, guys that are making a difference in the game, whether it be new products, new systems, new training methods, guys that are helping kids, great stories, things like that. But every now and again, we like to get into these discussions because um, we never want the show to come across as we keep bringing these people on that are so much smarter than everybody else, you know. I'm here to tell you, and I ain't going to speak for Spiker, I ain't smarter than you. I guarantee that. I'm a big dummy that loved the game of baseball and wanted to coach my kids and realized real quick when I was doing it that I wasn't near as smart as I w- thought I was. And as, uh, as my friend mentions, and I, I, I'm never going to be, be able to get away from this comment, in this golden age of content and information, it's out there for you if you're willing to open your mind. I'm not telling you to trust all the snake oil salesmen. I'm not telling you to trust everything you read. What I'm saying is, and I know what he's getting at, is there is plenty out there for you to use kind of what we've been talking about the last couple weeks here. Use some common sense, trust your gut a little bit, and do it for the right reasons. That's a pretty good recipe in my opinion, Spike.
2: I've played this game, um, i say 18 years, and I've been in the game um, past that, so I've, I've stayed with it. I always want to learn, and I feel like if I can consume as much as much information as I possibly can, I can I can weed out what's bad, what's good. I really recommend that for the coach. If you really want to change the game, and you really want to change the game around your players, really try to learn it because it it will it will give you tenfold to your players, and you'll see a lot of success.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great thing. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not telling anybody out there that you don't know what you're doing, that you're wrong, that you're ignorant, that you're misinformed. I'm not telling you that because here's what I know. This applies to life. You can hop on your computer right now and anything we tell you, you can find the exact opposite on your computer. I know that. I'm not a dummy. If you tell me the sky is blue, I can hop on my computer and prove to you that it's gray. I can do that right now. What I'm telling you is is that you've got to add in a little common sense. And if somebody tells you the sky is blue and you've researched it and it's gray, it doesn't do any good to look at them and go, no, it's not. No, it's not. That's that's silly. Let's talk about what's good for the player, what's good for their development, and what's good for you. Because a lot of times you're knee-deep in this. Whether you're just a coach, chances are you're probably a dad coach at the youth level. There's a lot of things that go into these decisions that you're making and how you approach this with not only your players but your son. That's why I ask you, think about everything you do. Ask how it affects you. Ask yourself, does that sound right? I don't know, probably my best advice in this whole thing. If I was going to look at something, Spiker, and I'd love your thoughts before we go on this. If I was to look up this 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 topic today and I was to type in, simple, you know, approach in the batter's box. You're going to get a thousand different things, right? Would you look at the first one and say that's it?
2: No. <laughs> it, here's the thing: I I have been taught by major leaguers, former major leaguers, been taught by former major league hitting coaches, and um, top college coaches. I didn't agree with some of the major league guys, and I agreed with some of the major league guys. Right. The best approach for me was end up. Getting all that information and figuring it out and end up clicking for me, my senior year,
1: I'll tell you a good story, and we'll leave on this one. It's a good one uh I'm not gonna mention names, but I will mention the player's name because he is who he is, but there was a local guy in a s in the twin system um that worked with a local guy uh five year minor league guy that had had minor success. Knew he was coming up on his sixth year, and you know what happens then. You're a six-year minor league free agent. Mm-hmm. Really committed himself over the winter. Changed his swing, did everything. Real, did video, figured out what he was doing wrong. Spent his whole winter, and I know you and I are going to have a great show on this one eventually, but spent his whole winter figuring out his launch angle when this really started a few years mm-hmm. ago. Makes these great strides. Shows up, gets caught. he's a catcher, so he's he's at the big league camp early because that's what they do typically if you're double a double-A or above. Gets in there and starts tearing the cover off the ball. Gets about two weeks in. He's playing well. He's hitting well. He's got a home run. I, I I know he hit a home run off Cliff Lee. He had another one off another good big league pitcher. He is rolling. A gentleman by the name of Rod Carew comes to town. Everybody knows who Rod Carew is, 3,000 heads. Shows up one day, pulls him over out of the cage, and says, We got to do something about your swing, son. He says, What do you mean? He says, You got to swing down on the baseball. This swinging up stuff's not going to get it done. He said, Okay. It's Rod Carew. Guy's got 3,000 hits. He's in the Hall of Fame. It's Rod Carew. Kid goes home completely baffled and confused. Calls his hitting coach back home, and his hitting coach says, Check your email and sends him no less than 10 videos of Rod Carew hitting a baseball swinging up. He goes to Tom Bernanski, who's a hitting coach at the time, and Tom Bernansky says, you need to show him respect, but just keep doing what you're doing. You can't always listen to just one thing. You have to have an ability to take information you've been given, look around a little bit, assess the situation, handle it a certain way. That's all I would think I would ever ask anybody to do. But, but that right there will give you an idea of how I'm not sure any of us really know what we're doing to some degree. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, think about that. This guy's all in. I'm a six year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he goes out and he has a great time. And some hall of famer shows up and says, you're wrong. Now you explain that one to me. That's a punch. right in the That's a punch right in the gut. Yeah. So you're always learning. You're always trying to get better. Um, the information is ever changing and it's getting more and more plentiful as as again we're back to golden age content but think about that for a minute and you're talking about guys at the highest level so imagine how hard it is for us here at the youth level to try to decipher right from wrong Mm -hmm. that's why i always say the number one thing i'm going to tell you in this game at youth baseball is common sense was that Seinfeld episode when he says, Who are you running against? And for when he's running for condo board president, yeah, yeah. And Jerry says, Common sense and a guy in a wheelchair. <laughs> Good stuff, Spike. I enjoy it, man. I'm uh, having so much fun since you joined the show. It's nice to, uh, to have another thought and a guy as smart and educated as you in the game, but also has the passion for it and, and the want to do it and the help. So I appreciate you being yep. here every week, my man.
2: I enjoy the ride.
1: No, it's good stuff. Hey, uh, again, don't forget all our friends at lineupmedia.fm. Give them a look-see. Go to youthbaseballtalk.com, our great uh, website where you can find some great videos from our instructors. You can also uh, subscribe to the podcast, which really we're asking you to do. Don't forget us on Twitter, at Podcast Baseball, and, of course, on Facebook, Youth Baseball Talk. Again, our only ask of you is when you see stuff from us, if you would share it around just in an effort to reach all the people involved in the wonderful game of baseball, we would appreciate it. For my co-host, Spiker Helms, I'm Jim Cromer. This is Youth Baseball Talk. We'll see you next week.
0: Tune in next week for another edition of Youth Baseball Talk. Subscribe and leave a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to the show. Find us online at YouthBaseballTalk.com, Facebook.com slash YouthBaseballTalk, or on Twitter at PodcastBaseball. Plus, check out all of our podcasts at LineUpMedia.fm.
3: This podcast was a presentation of LineUpMedia.fm.